0: Well, poor Tim, he's just taking a beating on every front, isn't he? Poor guy. Well, today we are talking about living under the influence in the workplace. And this is the final installment in this series. I'm just curious, how many of you are employed in a local church or a Christian ministry? Would you raise your hands? Okay, just what I suspected. The few of you. But the vast, vast majority of you are in the secular workplace, and when we were planning this series, I thought about this very weekend, and I felt compelled to select a speaker whose experience in the workplace would match yours, at least the vast majority of you. And uh, Joe Brownlee is a deacon at New Life. He's served in that role for many, many years. You know him as our musical director here, and soon to be our worship arts director. But he does all that while also holding down a full-time job as an IT consultant which uh, he does very well, and uh, Joe's got some great things to share with us today from the Word of God. So Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're at in our series, and uh, let's welcome Joe Brownlee. Thank you.
1: Well, let's start where we should always start. Let's pray. God, these are your people. This is your time. Help me to say what you want to be said today, God. Let the results be what you want them to be. Help me to be out of your way so that happens. ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Pastor Steve said, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to turn over there, you can pull the uh, study guide out of your worship folder. It's got the scripture on there. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It'll be up on the screens too. I want you to read along with me as we read the passage. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good He does, whether He is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Pastor Steve and I have been talking about the potential of me speaking on a weekend for some time now. And so back in about February, he came to me and said, I'd like you to speak, and here's your passage. So I went to my Bible, and you look it up. It's got the little heading that says what the topic is. It says, Masters and Slaves. And I said, thanks a lot, Pastor Steve. Just thanks all about But seriously, we can't just take a passage like this and say, well, it doesn't apply to us. How do we interpret this passage in 21st century America? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, everything in the Bible is there because God put it there and it's there for a reason. So we can't just ignore it because we don't think it applies to us. We have to dig a little deeper and see how it applies now, some of you are sitting out here and saying, well, this passage says, you know, Paul is condoning slavery. Absolutely not. I don't have time to get into that today, but if you're interested in that, the Book of Philemon, the little book of Philemon in the New Testament, Paul wrote to a slave owner. It's very evident if you look at Paul's other writings, he is not condoning slavery. Now let's consider slavery in the historical context of first century Rome. A lot different than what we think of in the world in the last, say, five hundred years. It was an institution. Very commonplace. And it was a way for the poor to have their daily needs met. Meaning, if they were, let's say you were somebody, you didn't have money, you didn't know how you were going to get along, a lot of times you would choose to sell yourself into slavery to get the money to pay your debts. And then once you did that, you would be in a situation where you'd have food on your table and you'd have a roof over your head. You would make that choice because you're poor and you couldn't do anything else. It was almost a profession. Now, you're saying to me, was it always benevolent? No. I think if it was benevolent, this passage wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be things like, don't threaten your slaves. No, not that. It's just that we have to understand that. Now, let's also look at the context of the passage. If we go back to the beginning of the series, Brett talked to us about how to imitate God. And then Steve, Pastor Steve talked to us about how to live in the Spirit. Those are vertical things. Our relationship between us and God. Then it moves on to talking about how we live this out in our marriage and in our family and now in in these relationships, our human relationships, horizontal. How do we live out our human relationships given how we are with God? I would say that this passage has broad uh, broad application to any relationship involving authority, whether you're under authority or whether you're exercising authority. I think this passage applies to that. So when you look at a corollary in our culture, the place where we most, all of us, live this out is in the workplace. Most of all of us either are under authority or exercising authority there. So let me reread this passage and see if this maybe resonates with you a little bit more. Employees, obey your supervisors with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like employees of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Work wholeheartedly as if you are working for the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's an employee or a supervisor. And supervisors, treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their supervisor and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Does that maybe make a little more sense to us? Does that maybe bring it home a little bit more? Let's break down what Paul's saying in this passage to to us. First, he starts talking to employees. The first point, and this is a key point in this passage, know who your boss is. Verse 5. Obey your earthly masters. Now, obey goes without saying, they are paying you to do a job, do it. But he says, your earthly master. Now, he's kind of hinting at something here. If you, he's saying, obey your earthly master, what's he implying? You have another master that's not on the earth, God. Obey your earthly master or supervisor. How about with respect? Respect has become a lost art in America these days. You watch stuff like The Office, or maybe you read Dilbert. I kind of like Dilbert because I worked at Bell Labs for a while. Scott Adams, who writes Dilbert, came out of Bell Labs. So his humor, I get it. It's funny to me. But, you know, if you're thinking about your boss at work as a pointy-haired boss who's a big idiot and doesn't know what they're doing, that's not respect. We need to treat our boss with respect. How about with fear? Like, they could fire you. (laughs) Or or they could give you work you hate, or, or all kinds of things like that. You've got to have a healthy fear for, for your supervisor. With sincerity of heart, he says. Why? Because Paul knows very well how our heart is, is how we're going to act. Our actions are a reflection of what's going on in our heart. So if we're like giving the boss lip service and all this, we're not going to act the way we should because we're not really respecting or fearing him or all these things in our heart. And how about this one? Just as you would obey Christ. It kind of implies that we're obeying Christ the way we ought to be, so we know how to obey our supervisor the way we should. makes it harder for not obeying Christ the way we should to know how to reflect that in our relationship with our boss. Second point, know why you are working. Verse 6, obey them to win their favor. You know, I don't know how many of you I don't want my boss going that Joe Brownlee, he's a slug. He never gets anything done. I can't count on him for anything. You no, you none of us want that. You want them to be saying, "Hey, that they're my, you know, I love that employee. They do a great job." That's what you want. How about this one, not only when their eye is on you. I was in a meeting this week, I can honestly say it's the first time in my entire career I ever sat in a meeting and said, "This is a sermon illustration." Uh I, I was in a meeting with my boss and my boss's boss, and I just watched a couple of people falling all over themselves to try and impress them. It was actually a little pathetic, but not, not only when their eyes on them. How are those people acting when the eye, their boss's eyes not on them? Well, not the same way. You ever find yourself having this thought? Because I do. The boss isn't here, so I can fill in the blank. You ever have that thought? Come on, come on, admit it. Here's my response to that, what I've learned to do. You have that thought, do this. Say to yourself, yeah, but my real boss is watching every single thing I do. Because that's really the point, isn't it? Watch out for that. Like slaves of Christ. Now here he's coming out and directly saying you're an employee of Christ. And he says doing the will of God. Now we think of doing the will of God as like I went to my small group and prayed with somebody or I went to the homeless shelter and served a meal. No, doing what you're supposed to do in your job, that's the will of God. Acting how you should in the workplace, that's the will of God. Every every bit as much as doing something we think of as a Christian thing. And then how about from your heart? Again, he goes back to that thing, knowing about what's in our hearts. Third point, know that what you do matters. Starting in verse 7, he says again, serve wholeheartedly. So that's the third time he's made that point. And then he also says, again, as if you were serving the Lord, not men. The third time he's made that point. I think he's trying to get that across to us. And then it says, the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Now, the way I read that says, if you do what's right in your job, God's going to reward you for that. That's the way I I see that. If we're doing good in any aspect of our life, God's going to reward us for that. Now he's gonna talk, Paul's gonna talk to supervisors. How many of you here raise your hand that you supervise at least one person in your job? Yeah, lots of us. Lots of us do. Supervisors, know how to treat the people who work under you. Paul says treat your slaves or employees in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, I think clearly he's referring back to verses five through eight. How about with respect? How about with sincerity of heart? Not giving them lip service. How about it how about this one? How about if you as if you were managing Christ, not men? How would you treat Jesus if he worked in your group that you supervise? Differently than the people you supervise now? How about not only when their eye's on you? You know, are you saying bad things about them behind their back, that kind of stuff? Doing the will of God. It's the will of God that you exercise your authority in the right way. And God will reward you for that, just like them. And the last thing I see from this passage, know where your authority comes from. Supervisors, this is a key point for you. Paul says, he who is their master or supervisor and yours. Romans 13.1, if you ask me, it's the key verse in the entire Bible about authority. It says this, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, we think about that with government. And this passage does talk about government, but what's it saying? It doesn't matter what the authority is. Authority comes from God. It's been delegated there by God himself. So you have to understand your authority comes from God. You need to exercise it that way. How about this one? There's no favoritism with him. He ends the passage like that. Let me tell you a little secret. God isn't impressed with your title. God isn't impressed with your position. Your corner office. There's no favoritism with God. God's way more interested in whether you're exercising your authority in a Christ-like way than He is about what your position is. Now, in the time we've got left, I want to take and share with you five things that I've seen not just looking at this passage, but looking over across the entire Bible about work. You could do a whole series on this. We don't have time for a lot of it today. I just want to give you some points that I've seen. And some of you may be looking for things like, you know, well, don't take pens home from work and things like that, and you shouldn't do those things. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our hearts today. The other disclaimer I want to give you, if you think I'm the perfect employer supervisor, well, I'm not. But I've done this for a while. And a lot of the things I'm going to talk to you about are things that I've had to think about and struggle with over the course of time still do today. First point, work comes from God. Now, I think there's a lot of us that kind of have this mistaken impression that work is some kind of a, like it's a punishment or that kind of thing. It's a result of sin in the world. If we think about work in relation to the fall when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we say, well, that's why we have work. Not so. Genesis 2, verse 15, says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Before there was sin, there was work. Adam had a job. His job was to take care of the garden. He reported to God himself. There was work before sin. Now, it is true that work became harder after sin. Genesis 3, starting in verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you when you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground now you're sitting here going okay Joe I'm living in suburban in Columbus I'm not a farmer what's this have to do with me well your job's harder because of sin you work with people are they perfect No, your job's harder because you have sin. You have to deal with wrong attitudes and wrong actions and things like that. Work is harder because of sin. Now, I also want you to see about God and meeting our needs. And I think this is a key thing today. Look, I know the times right now are tough. I'm doing a contract right now at the state of Ohio. You know, even last night, the Senate's rejected the governor's budget proposal. I'll get in there tomorrow morning. Everybody's going to be, there. going to be layoffs, what's going on. You gotta trust God. That's your key key thing. You gotta trust God. I can't put my trust in the governor. Can't put my trust in the agency director that I work for. Gotta trust God. If you're sitting here today and you're out of work, can I tell you right now? Trust God. I wanna I want to suggest to you if you are in that situation, the book of Philippians is for you. I would suggest to you read chapter four of the Book of Philippians once a week, for as long as you're out of out of work. It's an easy read, and it has some great stuff that will apply directly to you. Two verses from Philippians 4. Verse 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, I see three things out of this if you're in that situation. Don't be anxious. Well, I'm out of, out of work. I, I need to. Don't be anxious. That's what it says. Take your prayer, take your petition to God. Pray. Ask God. That's what he's saying. Do that. Be thankful. That's not easy to do when you're saying, "Well, what are we going to do about paying these bills?" And all be thankful. Verse nineteen says, "And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus." Now, there's a second part of that you got to do, though. You got to put God first. Jesus is preaching in Matthew six. And we know these two different parts of this, but we don't always connect them. Listen to this, starting in verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see how they go together? Seek God first, then he's going to meet your needs. If you're in that situation, you're out of a job, let me ask you. How's your prayer life? You're reading your Bible? Boy, that's not the time to be taking a vacation from God. That's the time to be going to God strongly. You say, now some of you sitting here saying, Joe, I'm doing that. Then you know what? Here's what I'd say. Here's your prayer. I just laid out for you these promises. Take them to God. God, you promised. You said you'd meet my needs. I'm putting you first. Remind him. He's not not going to let you down. And then another point from this, God's promised to supply your need, but not your greed. Philippians 4 again, verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I'm doing better with this these days, but I can tell you, I've struggled for a long time with not being content." Oh God, I want this, or I want to change this, or I need a better job, or I need No, be content. Paul said, be content no matter what your situation is. And then the other verse that I want to show you to look at that we think about, we often it's often quoted. First Timothy six, verse ten. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now let's stop there. A lot of people say money is the root of all evil. Wrong. That's not what it says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neutral. Depends on how you use it, but here's the second part of this verse. You never hear this quoted. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see all these famous people; they have tons of money, but they're unhappy, and they're why? There's a spiritual principle at work. You turn your back on God, you're going to pierce yourself with many griefs. Don't chase after money. Now, another thing about this: God gives differently to different people. And you say, Joab, why? Because he's God. He can do that. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a series of stories about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And he tells this very familiar story. You're probably familiar with it. He sets it up this way It, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them, to when he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. A talent of money was like over a thousand dollars in our money, so it's a substantial sum. He gave one guy five, he gave one guy two, he gave one guy one. Why? He sized them up and he looked at them and said, "I think this guy can handle this. I think this guy can handle that." We've got to understand that God just gives to different people differently. You say, "Well, you know, this guy's a doctor and he makes tons of money, or this guy does this job, and I just have this job." God is God. He's given you the abilities that you have. For whatever reasons he has chosen, he knows better than you. Let me tell you a little bit about my work history. My family calls me the grim reaper of IT companies. Because I've been in Columbus 19 and a half years. I've worked for five different IT companies, and only the one I'm working for now is still in business. It's been a tough time in the IT marketplace. I, I You know, I have a little bit different perspective than in, like I have like this you know brown thumb for companies or something. I'm not one to just jump at a different job. I've always kind of stayed maybe longer than I should someplace. And I'll only move when I feel like, you know, something's really drawing me. A lot of times God has done that. And I feel like what's happened is every time I've made that move, I've gotten out before something bad came down the pike and the company had problems. Why? Not because of me, because of God. He opened the escape hatch and I went out. You've got to trust God in those bad situations. Let me tell you a story about this. 2002, uh, I was working on a long-term project for a company, and they ended it a year early. And suddenly I was out of work. It was tough times in the IT uh, industry then. Um, the, the dot-com bubble had burst. The Y2K thing was over. And back in the 90s, if you were breathing, they were hiring you. <laughs> Once you got past Y2K, it was a different story. A lot of people didn't have jobs because there just weren't the jobs to be had anymore. And so it was a tough time looking. Everybody I talked to said, there's this company, you need to talk to them. They have tons of money. They're doing great work. You're a perfect fit for them. You need to go talk to them. So I got an interview with them, and, and, I, and I went to talk to them. Well, the guy that they had talked to me, now here I am I like at that time, nearly 25 years' experience in the industry, was a guy with four or five years' experience. That Something doesn't add up there. That's just not the way it's normally done. So as I talked to him, I evidently had said something. I don't even remember this, but I'd evidently said something. He asked me about the project I'd come off of. The company I had been doing that project with had staffed it in kind of a strange way, and I brought it up because he was asking me about it, who was working on that project, in a respectful way, not a disrespectful way, but evidently in a way that offended him. And so uh, when the recruiter called me up, it's like, they're passing. I'm like, they're passing? I'm not the perfect fit for this job. That doesn't make any sense. I'm like... God, what's up with this? I'm out here looking. I'm trying to do things the way you want me to do. What are you doing? Well, the IT industry in Columbus is a small community, very tight-knit. And so word gets around. So I'm out, you know, I talk to different people. Like the pe- Ultimately, I got a job, and the people got me in there. Hey, we heard what happened to you with that company. I'm like, what? <laughs> How'd you hear about that? Well, so-and-so told us. And so people started coming up to me all over the place. Oh, well, we heard what happened with that. I'm like, what? Eventually, the guy that got me the interview said he even ran into their vice president like at the, at the gym one day, and he said, you know, you know how we treated Mr. Brown wasn't very good. We really need to make that right. Well, it never happened. The interview was in February. In November, I'll remember this clearly, I walked out, picked up the paper off my front porch on a Saturday morning, and it said, National Century Finance Corporation, rated by the FBI company was done pretty much all the owners are in jail trials are still here seven years later trials are still going on and i could have been in the middle of that and you know what i was mad at god because he didn't give me that job (laughs) can i say something to you i've been seeing this the last two or three years god is always at work behind the scenes in ways we can't always see and he doesn't always reveal it to us sometimes he does he shows us our power, but sometimes He doesn't. Mark it down. God has not forgotten you. Trust Him. Your work comes from God's second point. Your work is for God. You say, it's for God. What's that mean? Well, God's given it to you for a reason, and He has His purposes that He wants you to accomplish in your work. God provides it. You say, "Hey, Joe, no, I, don't want, God didn't provide. I went to school, I did this training, I you know got this certification. Well, who gave you the ability to do that? Doesn't come from us, that comes from God. God wants you to use your job to care for the needs of your family. First Timothy 5:8 uh, says, "If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, how many people, are, you, you hear stories like, well, you know, I'm saving up for this boat. Your family is starving, but, you know, i got this other need. That, God has given you your job to provide for your family. That's got to come first. Be thankful for your job. Maybe in these times it's a little easier than in other times. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19, and I've read the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Had, Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. He has tons to say about work. He says this, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. You say, "Well, I'm not wealthy." I'm well. I don't know. Some of you guys have been on overseas mission trips. I would say all of us are wealthy compared to a lot of people in the world. Be thankful for your job. Don't gripe. Now, you think the verse that would come to mind for a lot of people, Philippians 2.14, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay? I like this one, Ecclesiastes 10.20. Do not revile the king, even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird of the air may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. (laughs) Been there? I have. Don't gripe, you know. Those of you that know me, you know, I have kind of a sarcastic sense of humor, and I have to be careful about that. And, you know, especially in my younger days, I just thought it was hilarious to gripe about my job all the time. Don't gripe. The results will not be good. That's not what you want to do. Be under authority. We talked about Romans 13.1, talked about where authority comes from. Listen to this, Romans 13.2. Consequently. He who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Be under authority. You know, you're doing your job. They pay you to do that job. Be under authority. God has delegated authority. In whatever situation you're in, God has delegated that authority to them. Be under the authority. You're not just rebelling against your boss. You're rebelling against God himself. You say, well, Joe, you don't know my boss. My boss is this and that. Look. Look. I've been working in an IT workplace for almost 30 years now. I've had my share of bad bosses. Let me tell you about one of them. Tom. Tom was a Taiwanese fellow who had been a university professor, started this company. And he's kind of funny sometimes. He, hit, he, he was the master of mixed metaphors. He'd say things like, we don't want to be caught with our pants down on fire. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> he always has, you know, there's a whole, like, we kept the whole thing of all of his sayings. One time... We were doing a project for AT&T, and we had some computers on loan from them, and we had some of our own. And so, when they asked for their computers back, Tom had our hardware tech take all the bad parts from all of our computers and swap them into theirs, and send them back. And then, here I am, a young pup of my twenties, sitting in that uh, in that meeting. He's in a staff meeting, sitting at the end of the table, proudly tells all of us, "Guess how clever I am? Look what I did." <laughs> Our director of marketing, not the most ethical guy himself, said, I can't hear this. Got up and left. So here we are. Tom's sitting there at the end of the table. It's dead silent. Everybody's looking at him. And he says, well, you know, sometimes we have to be a little dishonest. Let me tell you something. No, you don't. No, you don't. I left a job once when they asked me to lie to a customer. I didn't have anything else lined up. I quit. No, you don't. Don't do it. You want to talk about bad bosses? David, man after God's own heart. He had the worst boss in history in King Saul. You can read about it in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 26, starting in verse 7, listen to this. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head. Not so smart. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai... Said to David, Today God's delivered your enemy into your hands. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and he will perish. But the Lord forbid I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. You got a bad boss? Don't take it in your own hands. Give it to God. Pray about it. God's in control. God can do whatever He wants with that boss. Take it to God. Third point maintain balance in your work life. This is a constant struggle, and I speak from bitter experience on this. And a lot of you are probably in the same boat. It is a constant struggle. You know, Paul says in Acts uh, 18, he talks about being a tent maker at the beginning of that chapter. But I think if you went up to Paul, let's say you were meeting Paul and you said, Hey, Paul, what do you do? He's not going, Hey, I'm a tent maker. That's not what he's going to say. Paul would say, I'm a servant of the Most High God. I'm an evangelist. But I make tents sometimes to put food on the table. Paul knew who he was, and he had his job and what he did straight. You've got to maintain balance, you've got to keep in perspective what your job is and why you're doing it. Now, first thing is don't be lazy. Proverbs 10.4 Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Listen to this one. At the end of that parable of talents in Matthew 25, starting in verse 26, this is this is Jesus telling this story. and He's going to talk about this master. The master is a picture of God. His master replied... You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Then jumping down to verse 30, he says this, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty harsh stuff. From where I sit, God doesn't take being lazy uh, sitting down. He's pretty serious about it. Don't be lazy. Do a fair amount of work for your pay. Do your best. Colossians 3.23, Paul talking there, he says almost the same thing he says in this passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Straightforward. And can I say this to you? Don't just do the things you like to do well. This week I was working on a task at work. it's a task that I just don't like to do very much. And, you know, because I had to do a lot of it, it was kind of a struggle this week. But I prayed every day, God, help me today to go do this and do the best I can. And you know what? Met with our customers on Thursday and it was a great meeting and everything because it was a necessary thing. I don't like doing that part of my job, but it's important. You gotta do it well. Don't just do the things you like to do well. You gotta do everything well. Now, don't be lazy, but don't be a workaholic. Let me tell you right now, if that's where you're going, the results will not be what you want. Ecclesiastes 2:21. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. I used to do this. Back in my 20s, I was bad about this. And, you know, and I'd just be all upset. Well, I did all this stuff for you guys, and you don't even you know, do anything. You don't even respect it. They're like, we didn't, we didn't ask you to do that stuff. Why'd you do it? The results won't be what you want. Let me also say this. The enemy uses working too hard to separate us from God. As I was preparing for this, I read this great quote. Kenny Luck, who was here for the men's conference back in April, in his book, Being God's Man in the Face of Temptation, he said this. The fact is, the battle is really inside us. What you crave sets up the battle with yourself, with others, and with God. James says that God resists people like that. Sadly, for most of us, the taste of the good life has created an unquenchable appetite. It drives the average man to work harder than God intended. The enemy uses these desires us you know, to mess us up, to get our priorities wrong, to forget who we are, to not understand how our job should be in relationship to who we are. You want to, If you, this is something you struggle with, there's a book, Overcoming Overload. Pastor Brian recommended this to me a while back. Great book. It's in the bookstore. They have some. By Steve Farrar. I used to look at working too hard as a badge of honor. Look how tough I am. Look how much I can get done. Look how smart I am. I read that book and listened to what Steve Ferrar says in there from Scripture pointed out to me, it's sin. It's sin. Guys, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Listen to me. Work is not the substitute for being the leader in your family. You're going to tell yourself stuff like, well, I'm working for them. You know, I'm doing this. We need money for this. We need to better this. We need another car. We need. Listen to me. Your family needs you. They don't need more stuff. America's falling apart because we work too hard in our jobs and we don't lead our families, guys. Don't do it. Don't go there. Too important. Your family's too important to do that for a bunch of stuff. Don't do it. Point four. Supervisor, I want to talk to you for a minute. With authority comes responsibility. Now let me just tell you right up front here. God does not view authority the way we do. God views it upside down. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking, Mark nine thirty-five. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Next chapter, Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus talking again. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. We think of authority as this thing to use, well, the club to beat people over the head with, boss people around, stuff like that. It's not what Jesus said. You've got to use your authority to serve people. You've got to use their authority for good. God also holds leaders to a higher standard. Luke twelve forty eight, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. When you seek after that authority, realize there's a price. God's gonna ask you at one point in that judgment, How'd you use that authority I gave you? You know, did you use it for good? Did you use it to serve people? You know, since authority is granted by God, you've got to use it in a way that pleases God. I had a boss named Dennis when I first came to Columbus. Dennis had a big old corner office, at the top of a downtown building made a pile of money, had a house up in Muirfield. And I was a manager under him for a while, and I watched him do just nasty things to people. And when you'd ask him, Dennis, why'd you do that? Everybody quoted him. He said this all the time, because I can. When the company went down the tubes, last I heard of Dennis, he was renting golf carts someplace, not living on a golf course. And I'll just say, the folks that I run into to this day that know Him weren't exactly uh, broken up over what happened to him either because He treated so many of them so badly. You've got to use your authority the way God would. You know, how did Jesus treat people under His authority? Think about the disciples. He'd get frustrated with them. You know, Matthew at one point, he's like, are you guys so dull? "Are, Are you stupid? Are you listening to me? He'd get frustrated with them. But you know what? He taught them. He loved them. He served them. That's how we should be treating people who are under our authority. This is an aside for me. This is a thing I've kind of learned. If you're if you have responsibility in your job, and you have all the responsibility, they're asking you to do this, but they give you no authority. There's a word for that. I call that abuse. Don't don't stay in a situation like that. Think think very carefully before you do. Take that to God, pray about that. If you're in a situation where they're giving you all this responsibility but no authority to do anything with it, it's not a healthy thing for you. I think you really got to seek God on what you should do in a situation like that. The last thing I just want to say: authority can be burdensome. I know there's some of you. My younger days, I would, you know, oh, I want to be this, and I want to have this position, and I want to do this. There's a price to pay. I was. Uh, Partner in an IT consulting company for seven years, and it was something I'd always wanted to do. And I learned a lot from doing that. And sometimes you have to make hard calls when you when you're in that position. We had a guy that we hired. He was a, a nice fellow, knew his family, been to his house. And when we interviewed him, I kind of took myself out of the interview process. My business partner, our best employee, interviewed him. And he said all the right things, and he talked great. Everything was just good. Then we we hired him, and he couldn't do the job at all. He knew how to talk about it, but he couldn't do it. And so uh, we gave him chance after chance. I personally worked with him some, tried to help him, and it wasn't going where he needed to, and we knew we were going to have to let him go. And um, my partner said, do you want me to do it? And I said, no, I I think this is something I need to do. So I sat across that desk for him and let him go tried to do it as gently as I could, and he, he didn't see it. He didn't get it. Now, he'd been failing, but he didn't see it. They made it all the harder. I heard that his next job, he was there six months, and they let him go too, so maybe he kind of started to see that there was a problem, but I'm just telling you, those are not easy things. You want authority? Okay. But realize, sometimes you got to make some hard calls, and it's no fun. My last point. You can't separate your work life from your real life. You're saying, Joe, what, what are you talking about, your real life? Some people might call it your religious life or your Christian life. You can't draw a line and say, here's work and here's my Christianity. You can't do that. That's not the way it works. If you know who you are, just like I talked about Paul, and you know who you really are, you're going to realize you're God's ambassador in your workplace. God has a purpose for you there. You can't draw that line. Let me ask you, are you a different person at work than you are at home? Or in your neighborhood? Roaming around the halls of New Life on the weekend? you keep God out of your work? Do people where you work even know you're a Christ follower? Are you one of those undercover Christians? Is your conduct at work something Jesus would be proud of? Folks, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, you can't separate your Christian life and your work life. You can't.
0: I'm going to
1: tell you one last story and then I'm done. When I was in that business, um, my partner was a guy who was a devout Catholic. He wouldn't be a believer like we would probably think, but morally we lined up about most things. And we usually didn't have any problems. We, we had a big contract with, with Chase Bank, and it ended. And for a 10-person company, when six people come off the project, it's a big deal. And it was really a burden to us. We were looking around for what we are going to do next, and, we, and she said, Oh, you do that? My dad runs this company, and he owns this company, and nobody will do any work on his computer systems. He has all these problems, and no one will help him. Aside, that should be a red flag if no one will take money to help you. She said, well, what company is it? Now, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but if you've lived in Columbus for any time, you've heard of them. It's a large adult bookstore chain named after a biblical reference. I had a reaction. Right now I'm having a reaction again. And my partner said to me, he said, now, stop right there before you say anything. I know all about your religious beliefs. But this is business. And that has no place here. Well, I let him know in, know in certain terms he was wrong. That if he even considered it, it would be the end of our partnership and everybody in the company would know why. I just said, to him, you could have sent Mike or Sean out to work there. Are you crazy? I never heard another word from him about it again, but that was pretty much the end of the partnership. It was all downhill from there. Folks, listen to me. You can't separate who you are in Christ from who you are on your job. Because who you are on your job does not come first. You've got to put God first in all parts of your life, especially your work. Put Him first. Trust Him. See what the results are. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask everyone to Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want things, please don't move around. I want to make sure God has a chance to just talk to us this morning. Because I think we are in a position in our culture at this time where I think God wants to deal with a lot of us today. If you're here today and during this message, you just felt like God was kind of talking to you, even just a little bit. Let me tell you some different things I think God might be saying to you and see if any of these are what you think that God is nudging your heart about. Maybe God's talking to you today about your need for a job or a better job or or improvement in your work situation. Or maybe God's saying to you today, you know, you really need to be a better employee. There's some things you could do better. Or maybe he's saying you really need to be a better supervisor. There's some things you could do better there. Is God talking to you maybe about having better balance in your work life? Look, I know, that's tough. It's tough. Or maybe God's saying to you, invite me into your work life. I want to be a part of what you're doing there. Every head bowed now. If there's anyone out there, if any of those apply to you, if there's any one of those you think God's talking to you about, will you raise your hand up where I can see it because I want to pray for you. Lots of hands. I know there's more than that. Come on, folks. You can't do it when nobody's looking around. Thank you. Thank you for your your boldness. Let me pray for you. God, I know this weekend, you really have some things you want to talk to folks about here. God, for these folks that need a job, times are tough, but you're plenty big, God. You've made us promises, God. God, fulfill your promises in our lives help, help those folks to put you first draw close to them God help them not to be anxious God for the folks that want to be a better employee help them give them little, little nudges in their job as they're there just to, to know you're there help them to see the right situations to do what you want same thing for the supervisors God help them to exercise their authority in a way that's deserving the fact that that authority comes from You. God, if there are people who want better balance in their work life, God, I especially pray for them. Help them not to be in a situation where they're feeling just all this pressure to do things that aren't what You intended us to do. God, for those who want to invite You into their work lives, oh God, help them to do so. A lot of times it's because we don't know how. Help them to know how. Give them a little hint somewhere, God, about how to invite you in. God, I really believe that the results of what's happened this weekend will have impact in workplaces all over Columbus as you change our hearts to be more like Christ. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.